0: Right now we have our scripture reading from Psalm 2. Again, if you want to pull up Bibles, mobile devices, follow along. Uh, it's actually kind of cool if you have. We use ESV translation in our services and our preaching. Uh, sometimes interesting to look at different versions, especially the Psalms, because it is poetic language uh, to follow along and see. Because every uh, in. Every, interpreta- every translation is an interpretation, so it's good to see how, what decisions are made sometimes in the English translations. All right, I will read Psalm 2: The Reign of the Lord's Anointed. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord behold holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury and saying, as for me, I have sent my king, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him. This is the word of the Lord. So grace, mercy and peace from God, our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So we begin our sermon series this summer on the Psalms. I gave you a little bit of an intro during confession absolution, but this poetic language of the Psalms, and if you've noticed in the text, it's what it's indented, it's poetic. It kind of gives you a distinction. Most Scripture is narrative. What happened? What's God saying? What's going on here? That's, but the Psalms are a different book. The Psalms, well, many times are attributed to David, but honestly, we don't know exactly who the authors are. And there's lots of different types of Psalms. And many of you have gone to the Psalms in times of thanksgiving and of sorrow. There's Psalms of lament, thanksgiving, trust, praise, wisdom, but today's psalm is what they call a psalm of royal. This is a royal psalm, talking about the king, the anointed one. Now, as Christians, we know that's Jesus, but to the initial hearers, well, what would they have been thinking? They do think that David wrote this one, but many times this psalm would have been read when they were were inaugurating a new king. So David's gone, and there's kings to follow. And they'd say, All right, maybe this is the king that will do what is in this psalm. And it would be read out loud. Well, eventually there wasn't any more kings in Israel. They were always people that were getting taken over and occupied. So the you know, the Babylonians take them over, exile them, destroy the temple. Persians take them over, then they come back and make another temple, not quite as nice, but kinda. And then the Romans show up. And then, well, did you know the Romans had a special agreement with the Jews? Most people they overtook, they said, you're gonna worship our Roman gods. But the Jews were given a special dispensation. They said, okay, you you can worship your monotheistic one true God. We'll let you do that. But they still were under, well, they were aliens in their own land. They were under occupation for centuries. So as the years went on and they read this psalm, they were like, yeah, I don't really see this happening in time, but maybe in the future, there'll be a Messiah, a Savior who comes. This is the culture and context that Jesus shows up. And now you can kinda see, they thought, here's the guy. He's gonna be this conquering king. He's gonna usher in this new civil order. And he, well, disappointed them. He wasn't exactly what they were looking for. So this is the political landscape. And this situation between the church, God's people, And the government has always been very tenuous. So let's go, well, let's go the way back, right? When the Babylonians were there, you know, they take them over, they plunder them, they kill them, or they enslave them. Then there's a nicer king that says, oh, go back and do that. And then there's another ruler that says, do this, and another ruler says that. And so God's people have always been subject to a lot of different governments, most of them pretty hostile. Now the hostile environment that we have, last week was Pentecost. This Psalm is cited, that's, that's Acts two. Remember Peter proclaims and 3,000 are baptized, repent and believe and be baptized. Their church is exploding. And then by Acts four, John and Peter heal a lame man. And everybody's freaking out like, oh wow, this, this is happening. People are talking about Jesus. People are coming to faith. Initially, the Christians and the Jews worshiped together in the temple. That didn't last very long because the Jews were like, yeah, you you guys aren't doing the things that we're doing anymore. And, well, you say Jesus is God, and, well, we don't. And so they very quickly kicked the Christians out of the temple Now, remember that special dispensation that the Romans had given the Jews? Well, the Jews said, these Christians are no longer, these are not Jews. So you know what that means. Kill them all. That is the environment that the church is existing. In fact, we even know Paul participates in this. Well, Peter and John heal that lame man in the name of Jesus and they get drugged into the council. This is the Sadducees. The Pharisees, a lot of them converted to be Christians, but the Sadducees who are in control of the council bring them in front and tell them, you need to just shut up about this Jesus guy. Well, what do you think Peter and John said? Mm, I think not. I think we're going to do what's right in the eyes of God and not what's right in the eyes of the authorities that are over me civil disobedience yes but it was for the sake of the gospel so i'm going to read this is right after they you know said shut up and they said no or not acts 4 is what's read and it cites psalm 2 here when they were released they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed. And it goes on to say that they were happy and bold And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they are all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. It is in vain that the council, the ruling authorities, were trying to silence the Christians. They look back to Psalm 2. God even says he laughs about this. Silly kings of the world, how dare they even think they can go against me and he's right who's going to overpower God nobody they even mention Pontius Pilate and the Sadducees here as proof of this Psalm 2's fulfillment these are the in time way we even put Pontius Pilate in our creed right it's an in time fulfillment that the government well killed our Lord and Savior so how long has the government been in a good relationship with Christians well things changed a little bit obviously they were killing the Christians early on essentially the first two to three centuries by the year 300 Christianity becomes the more dominant religion Constantine converts it becomes the religion of the Roman Empire And now we have this almost marriage of church and state. And for almost 1,700 years, this is the case. In fact, it was promoted by the government. It would be good for you to go to church. It would be good for you to be baptized or receive the Lord's Supper. This is the way it went. And then the Reformation happened. One great thing about the Reformation is that it was a reclaiming of the gospel. The removal of barriers between God and man, not priests, not Mary, not saints, not these orders, we have direct access to God, and there's only one mediator between God, the man, Christ Jesus. The other thing it did, Christianity values individuals. Remember, God knows each and every one of you and values each and every one of you. This is pretty unique, revolutionary, and in the West, this individualistic idea has, well, been great. We've been allowed to do things. We've, uh, we all have diverse skills and abilities. We have diverse ways we serve our neighbors, and this is a good thing that the theology of vocation happens. But things have maybe changed again. There are parts of the world where you still cannot be a Christian. Well, if you don't want to have persecution, or killed, or your livelihood taken away, lots of communist countries, lots of Muslim countries, Christianity is not an option. So are there governments around the world that are opposed to Christianity? Absolutely. Is this government that we live in opposed to Christianity? Well, let's look at the history of this United States. Why did people come here? They came here to get out of Europe. What was going on in Europe? Well, people were being oppressed. A lot of them were religious oppression, so they left here to flee. Once the Reformation happened and city-states rose, there became this new phenomenon of the government doing work of the church, providing for the poor, making very efficient systems to get stuff done, and it worked really well. So when people came to the United States, it was set up explicitly to be individualistic. Religion is for each and every one of you. It is not part of the collective. The government is in that situation. Religion is just you and your God. This country was set up as a secular, humanist, individual government. It is not and never has been a Christian nation. Many of the founders were Christian, but many of them were masons and deists and atheists. And so what they said was, yes, go do those things, but that's not going to be part of the collective. So we have never been part of a Christian nation. It's been explicitly secular, humanistic, and individualistic. Now, there's many in our country who say, no, we are in a Christian nation. We really need to get back to being a Christian nation. I'm like, the way it was founded was for you to do your religion individually and not in the public square. That's the way it was designed, and all we've seen is that movement over the years, more and more towards that. There are so many things I could say right now about how that has borne out in our culture. What is the civil realm for? Why do we have a government in the first place? God says it's a good thing. What's it for? Romans 12, thwart evil. And honestly, it's a good mechanism to love our neighbor. It's a good way to set things up for the benefit and safety of everybody. It's a good thing. The government is set up for the law. Laws are good, (laughs) laws keep us constrained. And do you know what three things the law can do? I'm talking the civil realm. Laws can either promote something, prohibit something, or stay neutral. That's pretty much what they can do. And we can think of lots of things in our culture that have shifted from the government saying, That's bad to I don't care to that's good and back and forth. So, this is why the law or the civil realm is not worth trusting because it will be fleeting and changing and go with the tides. It is not an eternal thing. Now, there's been great things. The church has affected the civil realm forever. Think about, I'm just gonna think about one topic. When Christ walked the earth, the dominant philosophy and culture was it is completely fine to kill your born child if it's a female or disfigured. Maybe okay if it's a male. That's just the way it was. It's no big deal. Christians said, maybe we shouldn't kill our babies. And things stopped being like that, right? Well, things have gone back. And now things are going. Do you see how this effect the church has on the civil realm? We have always been speaking to the culture, speaking to the government. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to advocate the good things. But does that mean that that's going to happen or listen? Or is that what we're hoping happens? If that doesn't happen, what's that say about God or us? We keep speaking to the culture, even when they don't listen. Peter and John, were they proclaiming the gospel to a hostile situation? Yes. But you know what they said? I'm going to skip the Psalm 2.9. I'm going to the Acts 4.19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to listen to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That is what the church is supposed to do. What have we seen and heard? What have we seen and heard this morning? What have we seen and heard in our lives? What have we seen and heard with our interaction with God and other people? We are supposed to be advocating things like love, mercy, grace, reconciliation, reconciliation. We're supposed to tell the world that we have been adopted into this new family, this new kingdom, and that we're dual citizens. I am a citizen of the United States. That will end when I die. (laughs) I will just be a citizen of the kingdom, which I am now and forever. It's so important that we remember the right-hand kingdom. The kingdom of God is the one that really matters. It is cool to be patriotic. It is great to be part of the civil realm. It's good to encourage good laws. It's good to figure out ways to love our neighbor in this civil realm. God has set it up for these purposes. But we dare not put our faith and hope and trust in that left-hand kingdom. We put our faith and hope and trust in the right-hand kingdom. And the right-hand kingdom is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom that Christ said, I am not of this world, right? My kingdom is not of this world. He ushered in a new kingdom era, a new kingdom that we're all part of. Jesus Christ lived, died, was resurrected, and has ascended into heaven, and he is at the right hand of God right now, interceding on our behalf. He is the one who ultimately will fulfill Psalm 2 on the last day. On the last day, it will be the full fulfillment of every one of these promises. But we do get some advice to governments in Psalm 2. It says right here Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one who is the king of king and lords of lords. He is the one who is in control of everything. So when the civil realm seems to be the opposite of what you would think God would want, he is still in control of that realm. He's still calling the church to be faithful witnesses, to speak to the culture those things of the gospel of truth, of love, of mercy. Is it easy? It's only going to get harder. It's a difficult thing because we're in a situation that was explicitly set up for us not to do that thing. But does that stop Peter and John? Nope. Is that going to stop us? Nope. Do we care what the government says or do we care what God says? That's an easy answer, isn't it? What does God say? That trumps everything. And when those are in conflict, we go with what God says. Thankfully, in America, there's a lot of things that are in agreement there. But there always will be a disagreement, there will always be a tension between these two kingdoms. And if we confuse those two kingdoms, we get in trouble. This is a good Lutheran distinction that we all have, this two kingdoms theology. It helps us figure out which realm am I working in right now? Am I working in just the law, which is the civil realm? Or am I working over here in the right-hand kingdom, the gospel, the kingdom that is to come and has come to you and to me? We are called salt and light of the earth. We are bringing new life, purpose, meaning. We advocate for those who cannot advocate for themselves. We seek peace and reconciliation. So you are dual citizens, citizens of the United States or another country, and you're citizens of God's kingdom. And the very last line of the psalm is exactly what we should be comforted by. Blessed are those, blessed are who take refuge in him. So whatever's going on, whatever election commercials we're going to have to endure, whatever situation in the government or, you know, all those, these are, these are things of this time. And they're, it is good, but we dare not take our refuge in those things. We put our refuge in Christ and in Christ alone. So I pray this morning that Psalm 2 gives us hope of this prophetic thing when Jesus comes back in the last day and there's no more government. We don't have to worry about it. But between now and then, that we would be faithful witnesses like John and Peter and be bold about speaking what we have seen and heard to share the gospel in a broken world that needs it so bad. Amen. Will you stand and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank and praise you so much for well, your two kingdoms. I thank you that you work through us in both of these kingdoms and that this right-hand kingdom that we are part of your kingdom would, well, it would expand, that people would know you, that we'd be bold in being witnesses to you, what we've seen and heard and tasted. I pray that you would give us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to say these things to a world that needs hope. I do pray for good leaders in the civil realm, for the benefit of our neighbors, but no matter what, help us always to do what you tell us. You are Lord and Savior. Amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week.